This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Introducing our Shriver Award. So each year, it is our tradition to recognize a change maker in developmental disabilities with the Shriver Award. The award was named for Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who was a pioneer in the worldwide struggle for rights and acceptance for people with intellectual disabilities. She was the one who founded Special Olympics. In the late 1950s and 1960s, Eunice Shriver saw little justice in the way that people with intellectual disabilities were treated. She saw them She saw them excluded in institutions, and yet she knew that they had many talents and gifts to offer. This year's recipient of the Shriver Award and lecture goes to Judy Mark on behalf of Disability Voices United. Judy's contributions to the field are both broad and deep. She is a professor in the UCLA Disability Studies Program At UCLA, she teaches courses and she ran an autism media lab, which produced seven short documentaries on the inclusion of people with non-speaking autism. If you haven't seen these documentaries, you really should. She's founder and president of the Disability Voices United organization. The Disability Voices United organization is a statewide organization directed by and for people with disabilities and their families. It advocates for choice and control, equity and accountability, and meaningful outcomes. Judy Mark was instrumental in the passage of the law establishing the self-determination program, and more recently, California Assembly Bill 1663, the probate conservatorship reform and supported decision-making law. Disability Voices United runs yearly self-determination conferences and has been a key champion in shepherding the implementation of the program. Disability Voices United runs the self-determine, self-determination program connect meetings that help regional center clients, their families, and service providers move that program forward. And if that weren't enough, Disability Voices United runs Communication Access Connect, Communication Access Connect, which teaches about communication and augmentative and alternative communication barriers and solutions. Disability Voices United created and led the Emerging Leaders Program, which develops self-advocates to take on leadership positions, and we know we need more of that. Judy Mark is a champion of immigrant and refugee rights and ensures that all meetings have simultaneous translation so that our Spanish, Korean, and ASL-speaking communities have the same access to information as English-speaking ones do. She helps hold our systems accountable for eradicating racial and ethnic disparities in diagnoses, services, and education in disability communities of color. She works on issues of police violence, voting rights, and holding public agencies accountable. Judy Mark walks the walk. 
She's a true champion for people with disabilities and their families to live the lives that they choose. She's leading us to take the next steps in disability justice. It's with great pleasure and appreciation that I present the Shriver Award to Judy Mark on behalf of the conference. Please welcome Judy Mark to present the Shriver Lecture. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Clarissa, Dr. Kripke, John, it's um, such an honor uh, for uh, Disability Voices United to receive the Shriver Award, especially from UCSF, who has done so much cutting edge work in the field of healthcare for people with disabilities. Um, we, we deeply appreciate this award and look forward to working with you on many issues in the coming year. And after that generous introduction, I'd like to give you a little bit more background on DVU and on our work. Um, first, a little bit about me. Um, I lead and how I came to lead a disability rights organization. I was drafted into the disability community, which is why I am so grateful to all of you who have chosen this field. And for over 40 years, I were, have worked for nonprofits and for every progressive cause that you could imagine. Every issue that I worked on was controversial. And I specialized in developing the, the advocacy messaging to move the public and policymakers toward our goals. Um, then I had my son. I will hold on. I will get you a picture of my son. There you go. Uh, Joshua, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. He was followed closely by our daughter, Emma. And after failing at that whole work family balance thing, I decided to focus on my kids and volunteer to advocate for better policies for people with disabilities. I thought, finally, I am working on an issue that everyone can agree on. There's nothing controversial about supporting people with autism and other disabilities. Well, boy, was I wrong. I wasn't wrong about the bipartisan support, and I didn't need to craft special messages to help the public understand why they should care about people with disabilities. No, it wasn't the messages. It was actually the messengers. What I found, and sadly still do most of the time, is that who gets listened to and who has the power are the people paid to be in the developmental disabilities field, the service providers, the regional center staff, and other professionals, and not the people with disabilities and their families who are most impacted. So began my journey that started with trying to get a law passed to give my son more control over his services to now building a disability rights and justice movement in California. So let's look back a decade. In 2013, a group of self-advocates with developmental disabilities and their families pushed for a bill in California to take a small, very successful pilot project on self-determination and expand it statewide. Self-determination begins with person-centered planning. The person then agrees on a budget with the regional center to purchase services to meet their goals. It's basically about freedom and living a life like people without disabilities. We learned a great deal in the process of passing this law. First, everyone in the system underestimated us. How could these little people with no connections pass such a transformational bill? Second, many legislators thought that the system was monolithic and we all agreed with each other. Not true. And third, when asked, thousands of people with disabilities and families will show up to hearings make calls to the governor or do whatever they have to do to have more choice and control over their lives. 
It was a hard battle, but on October 9th, 2013, Governor Jerry Brown signed the self-determination law. The self-determination program has been a game changer for thousands of people with developmental disabilities in California. It puts people in charge of their own lives, sometimes for the first time. It has literally saved lives and made people happier and more satisfied. It has offered unique opportunities that just doesn't exist in the traditional system. But don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to Tina. I am living, not just surviving. I am growing, learning, thriving. I am contributing to my community and I am making a difference. I get to choose. If I want to be a volunteer, I can do it. If I want to go to church, I can choose which church and I can do it. I can do anything I want to. I just need help. The experience of getting the self-determination law passed opened my eyes to a fact that permeates so many conversations about disability. Most people in the field see a disability as a deficit that needs to be fixed or cured. And this medical model continues to dominate popular narratives. Disabled people's needs, wants, desires are decided by experts, such as doctors, teachers, and therapists. Goals are written for them that sound like math equations. Joshua will greet his peers appropriately 80% of the time out of 10 opportunities within five days when provided a verbal prompt. And then someone sits there and observes Joshua every day and takes data. That is an actual goal for my son's IEP from 15 years ago. It was about saying words and not actually having relationships. And now at age 26, Joshua still does not greet everyone he sees, but he has a bunch of friends and a good life, and that requires no prompting. Boxes are built around people with disabilities by those who may mean well, but who operate based off this deficit-based medical model. Disabled people aren't supposed to have big dreams, so they are asked about the small things, like their favorite foods and TV shows. They are very rarely asked about their dream jobs, the lives they'd like to build, or if they'd like to have a relationship. People with disabilities are often treated either as an infant or an inspiration. They are called buddy and kiddo well into adulthood or lauded for their accomplishments of overcoming their disabilities. Many, especially parents, describe their adult children according to some made up mental age. I so often hear parents say something like, my 28 year old child is more like a four year old. This outright infantilization won't lead to better services or outcomes and deeply underestimates people. Let me give you an example. One of DVU's senior staff recently told me a story of how he was sitting in a restaurant in his wheelchair eating lunch with his aide. A person walked by and patted him on the head and then gave his aide a hug and thanked him for helping. This is called ableism which is the discrimination or social prejudice against people with disabilities. Ableism can take the form of assumptions, stereotypes, and practices. It can also be systemic, such as physical barriers in the environment or large-scale oppression, such as laws and institutions that assume disabled people are less valuable to society and should have less autonomy. Ableism is often unintentional, 
with most people being completely unaware of the impact of their words or actions. It is also intentional, such as services and programs that, quote, care for people with disabilities through segregation, seclusion, and physical or medical restraints. On the whole, people with disabilities are not presumed to be competent. The truth is that people with disabilities have inner lives, preferences, and goals as complicated and rich as everyone else. And they must therefore be the directors of their own lives to the greatest extent possible. That includes directing their daily lives, healthcare, services, and the advocacy movements that seek to serve their interests. After we passed the self-determination law back in 2013, that powerful group of self-advocates and family members did not dissolve. Instead, we decided to band together in pursuit of even greater goals, complete reimagining of how people with disabilities live their lives. In February 2017, Disability Voices United was born from a retreat in Sunny Palm Springs, where a self-advocate with autism, Christine Modicani, gave us our name. From the beginning, we knew that individually, we were easy to ignore. So our tagline became, together we will be heard. It's now six years later, and some would say, we have accomplished an astounding amount in our short existence. I would like to share with you today some of the many ways we found to center and authentically support leaders with disabilities in our advocacy efforts. When the pandemic began, DVU was perfectly positioned to lead our community through this crisis. We had already been a virtual organization using Zoom, we were nimble, which was a great advantage at that time when the world shut down overnight. By March 19, 2020, DVU launched a comprehensive resource website on the coronavirus and hosted a statewide virtual town hall that night for over a thousand people. And that sparked pandemic advocacy that continues to this day. Over the course of the next year and a half, DVU hosted 21 state webinars, statewide webinars, and meetings on the pandemic's impact on people with disabilities. From topics like the impact on communities of color to coronavirus and mental health. We educated thousands of people and created community during a time of isolation. DVU also led successful advocacy efforts to get early access to vaccines for people with disabilities their families and staff. And we called for vaccine requirements for staff that supported people with disabilities. We ran multiple sensory friendly vaccine clinics and even hosted a mock clinic for younger children to prepare them for getting a shot once it had been approved for their age. And we did all of this without $1 of funding. We were driven by volunteers and our dedicated tiny staff. It was also critical that we centered the voices of people with disabilities during that time. I wanna show you some of the impactful comments from a couple of our webinars. First is my friend, Jennifer Restle. So when the pandemic first started, everybody had to stay at home. I had all these able-bodied people around me going, I can't leave my house, I can't do things, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I mostly just nodded and said, yes, that's very frustrating. But for a few people, I said, welcome to my world, because people with disabilities have been dealing with exclusion from the broader world for a very long time. Next, let's hear from DVU board member and disability elder Leroy Moore. 
coming out of this that we, you know, continue to follow, you know, disability justice activists and really have disabled people of color in in um, powerful positions. And so, you know, when, when we restructure and we get back to wherever we get back, because we're not getting back to normal, because normal is over. There's no sense of normal. That's, that's over with. So whatever we get back to, it has to not include, it has to be coming from people with disabilities and especially disability justice activists and people of color that that have been, you know, really affected, you know, from this virus, you know, so, you know, yeah, really, you know, have them front and center when we, um, you know, we restructure our society. There were many lessons from the pandemic, but none more bitter than how the civil rights of people with disabilities had been set back. We had to battle this persistent misconception that people with disabilities were vulnerable and helpless. Sure, some people with disabilities may need help with some things. As a matter of fact, that's true of everyone, whether or not they've got a disability. But while non-disabled people are considered smart to ask for help on making important decisions, disabled people are told that they lack capacity. This often leads to them entering a problematic legal process called conservatorship. Conservatorships give the courts the right to make virtually every decision for a person with a disability. This usually permanent process strips people with disabilities of their civil liberties and autonomy. Conservatorships present the contradiction of taking away someone's rights in order to protect them. It is said that people under conservatorships have fewer rights than prisoners, yet all of their rights have been taken away because of their crime of having a disability. In fact, studies show that people under a conservatorship or guardianship are more likely to be victims of abuse than those who retain their rights. Half of all people under conservatorships have a conservator who is a total stranger, half, and who were paid to be in this role. How is this protection? Dr. Nora Baladarian, the nation's expert on the on abuse of people with developmental disabilities, says that the best way to prevent abuse is to teach a person self-advocacy and self-determination, not to take away their agency. Conservatorships promote the stigma of disability. When a parent goes to a doctor's appointment with their adult child and proudly announces that they are the conservator, Healthcare professionals are more likely to speak only to the parent and feel excused from any need to explain things or seek permission from the person. They certainly think it is much easier to deal only with the conservator and not have to explain complicated medical issues in plain language. And it actually doesn't make sense to remove a person's right to make basic choices, like whether to have blood taken, whom to spend time with, or where to live. If you need to get better at a skill, don't take away the opportunity to practice that skill. You give people the accommodations and support they need to practice. Luckily, self-advocates and activists long before us have already done the difficult work of identifying a framework that provides just such an opportunity to people with disabilities who need some help making choices. 
It's called supported decision-making or SDM, in which people with disabilities choose trusted supporters to help them think about, understand, and communicate decisions in specific areas of their lives. If you have ever asked a friend to help you decode what your car mechanic is saying, congratulations, you use supported decision-making. Supported decision-making can be either formal or informal. In healthcare, we hear concerns from doctors and nurses who must assess whether a person has the capacity to consent to a surgery or procedure. But capacity should be assessed with the support in place and with an explanation provided simply to the person. And in times of urgency, there can always be substitute decision-making through powers of attorney. And, but that does not take away a person's right and rights and give it to a court. The reality is that people with disabilities need something to, needed something to point to in law that acknowledged their wish to get support in making choices without their rights being taken away. Some agencies, healthcare providers, and financial institutions needed to see it in black and white. We also kept hearing stories of disability, of people with disabilities trapped in conservatorships who desperately wanted to get out. Probably the most famous example was pop singer Britney Spears, who was caught in a 13-year conservatorship despite having millions of dollars and millions of fans. Conservatorships were being overused, even though law, the law says they are supposed to be a last resort. Last year, DVU saw an opportunity to seize on the intense media attention surrounding Britney Spears' release from her abusive conservatorship to push for significant reform to the probate conservatorship system. Working closely with the organizers of the Free Britney movement, along with a range of disability and civil rights organizations, we co-sponsored Assembly Bill 1663, authored by our champion Assemblymember Brian Mainshine. As we embarked on this effort, Again, we were underestimated. Our opponents didn't take the Free Britney movement leaders seriously. Big mistake. They are incredibly smart and remain DVU allies to this day. The courts, lawyers, and judges thought they had all the power. Wrong again. And no one predicted the influence of an excellent multi-part TV news investigation produced by Andy Judson, whom you heard from earlier today. Once more, we succeeded, and on September 30th, 2022, Governor Gavin Newsom signed our bill into law. AB 1663 put supported decision-making into California state law for the first time. Courts are now required to consider alternatives like supported decision-making before establishing a conservatorship. And it is now easier to exit a conservatorship. In the next year, $3 million in grants will be distributed to organizations around the state, including in healthcare, to provide trainings on supported decision-making. This law's impact is quite extensive, and I encourage you to find out more by going to our website at supportwithoutcourts.org. As with our self-determination law, we learned many lessons in the process of getting this bill passed. First, we saw that we couldn't do this alone, so DVU built and nurtured a broad coalition. Second, we set our goals high, but were willing to compromise. And finally, we learned that we would only succeed if we put the voices of the people most impacted, those with disabilities, at the center of the debate. That lesson is something we've always known. People with developmental disabilities not only have to be included at all tables where decisions are made about their lives, they have to be at the head of that table. And luckily, it turns out, 
that people with disabilities make pretty darn good natural advocates for themselves and for our community. They just need to be given the resources and support to do so. What we really need is to change the narrative around the leadership of disabled people. I am sure many of you are familiar with boards, committees, and work groups that contain one or two disabled people, but don't meaningfully include them in discussions. Often those in power make the decisions and then show them to self-advocates to get feedback. Put plainly, this is tokenism, the old school paternalistic model. So DVU set out to encourage and uplift people with disabilities to become the leaders they want to see in the world. In making policy on a particular issue, it is critical to listen to and amplify the voices of those most impacted. When we're talking about ableism, systemic inequity, and the need for self-determination, that most impacted group are not the service providers, regional centers, doctors, or therapists. They are the people with disabilities themselves and secondarily their families. The problem is our system is upside down. The ones with the power are the people paid to be in our system. And those people have the money to create trade associations, hire lobbyists, and get access to government officials. The problem is that people with disabilities and their families are systematically kept from meaningful positions of power. And we are not given the tools we need to be effective advocates. We are not taught to understand things like participating in the legislative process, networking with other activists, or using our stories as tools to illustrate the desperate need for change. Disability Voices United is changing them. Two years ago, DVU created our Emerging Leaders Program, which offers inclusive and accessible leadership trainings for people with disabilities and family members. This program prepares them to understand effective advocacy, not only for themselves, but for our communities. So far, we have trained over 200 diverse self-advocates and family members from across California. Many of our trainees have also received mentorship from experienced leaders. Our graduates now serve on boards of statewide organizations and regional centers, special education advisory committees, and work groups related to the DD system. Many of our graduates now regularly testify at public meetings and hearings to advocate for systems change. Just a few weeks ago, I joined three of our self-advocate emerging leaders in a meeting with top officials in Governor Newsom's office to advocate for funding to access communication supports. These three young leaders with autism who type to communicate are the future. They call themselves the MOD Squad, which stands for Mastering Our Destiny. They are demanding accommodations, support, and high expectations, and doing it all with a great sense of humor. I also wanted to mention that DVU has a special focus on the inclusion of disabled individuals who use multiple modalities to communicate. Many of our emerging leaders include self-advocates who use alternative and augmentative communication. We also run online meetings called Communication Access Connect, where people with communication disabilities and their families learn and network together. This year, we are doubling down on these efforts and building a self-advocate speakers bureau in which people with disabilities will be trained by their peers and other experts on how to make an impact on an audience, whether it be in person, online, or in the media. We will be preparing these self-advocates to educate the community on supportive decision-making and a range of other disability rights issues. 
Each bureau member will be detailed on a website where schools, hospitals, and organizations can book them for a talk. These self-advocate leaders sit on the shoulders of an incredible group of people who founded and have led the disability rights movement for over 50 years. Many of these disability elders now talk about a framework called disability justice. Disability justice has a set of principles that center the priorities and approaches of the most disenfranchised groups of people with disabilities, including people of color, women, immigrants, poor people, and those who are LGBTQ+. Among the principles include intersectionality, leadership of those most impacted, interdependence, and a commitment to cross-disability solidarity. The leaders in disability justice include multi-modality communicator Latif McLeod, who appeared at a recent DBU Communication Access Connect. As a society, we should not strive to erase disability, but to build our society such that disability is one of the central considerations when building a community. This will only happen with greater respect for disability know-how and the heightened value of people with disabilities' point of view. Essentially, we also need a disabled-led movement so that this society is accessible for everyone. When this happens, people will not be defined by the labor that they can or cannot do, but by the relationships that they cultivate and the contributions they make in their community. This is how a disability liberation can come to fruition, and it will necessitate a huge culture shift in society. This focus on equity and intersectionality is at the core of DVU's work. We not only center people with disabilities, but lift up the voices of disabled people of color who are multiply marginalized. DVU recently issued a report called A Matter of Race and Place that found the race of a person and where they live predicted where they receive, whether they received equitable services from a regional center. We found that there are profound differences in spending between Latinos and whites at every regional center. But just as problematic, there are dramatic differences between regional centers. It means a person living on one side of a street may receive twice the amount of services as a person on the other side because they are from different regional centers. That is why this year, DVU is focused on reforming California's developmental disability system. We are co-sponsoring the Disability Equity and Accountability Act, which seeks to reduce delays in eligibility and service delivery, develop a set of standards that all regional centers must meet, create a more person-centered, transparent, and consistent experience for all clients, and re restore trust in regional centers. Before I close, I want to thank Disability Voices United's founders, board members, staff, and consultants for their incredible dedication to disability rights and justice. We have accomplished so much because of our amazing team. Please join us by visiting our website, signing up for our mailing list, and coming to our events, which occur every week online. It is my sincere hope you will begin to understand disabled people, not through the lens of the medical model, but as role models and vital leaders in our communities who are entirely capable of not only directing their own lives, but changing all of our futures for the better. We hope that you could imagine, examine the ways that you can center the needs and voices of your disabled patients and clients 
your friends and colleagues. Shift your thinking to recognize that society determines what able-bodied needs. Listen to the voices of people with disabilities and then amplify those voices in your exam rooms and board rooms, in private discussions and public meetings. Shout with us for inclusion, equity, autonomy, and justice wherever you are given the opportunity, because I know that together we will be heard. And as always, we want to give a self-advocate the last word. Let's hear from Ikea Wilson. I do believe that everybody, everybody, no matter what ethnicity, race you are, everybody, deser everybody deserves to fulfill their dreams. Everybody, everybody deserves to achieve their goals and be proud of what they're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you so very much, Judy. That was a very rousing, rousing talk that has me so excited and has the audience excited uh, from, we, we have comments in the chat, Judy Mark, I hope you can visualize the standing ovation that your work and talk deserves. And I know thanks. I was bummed. I was bummed that we didn't get to be in person because that would have been fun. It, it, <laughs> yes, um, we, we have thanks, Judy. Congrats to the whole DVU team. We have amen. <laughs> um, we, we have a lot of praise for your work. And and I just um, want to offer a very personal appreciation um, to you, my my own daughter, who is non-speaking and needs support for all of her activities of daily living and needs support to communicate. Uh, took your emerging leaders course, was a, was hooked up with a mentor and is now the leader of a very successful self-advocacy organization called The Other Option that has, uh, that has 20 non-speaking autistic people in it who all use AAC. So that's what your advocacy has produced. Uh, you, you're getting more praise here in the chat, fantastic work and talk. Congrats to DVU. So well done, Judy. Bravo. So um, that is a wonderful note to a wonderful day. And if there's any other comments or questions um, about next steps, uh, we're, we're excited for you being the voice of, uh, of people with disabilities and families together. Um, it's just been fa fantastic. And I see one question from someone from Ohio who's asking um, how to uh, obtain this kind of support uh, in other states. That's a great question because when we uh, work, we work with lots of amazing people in other states. When we started our journey to um, try to get the self-determination law passed, in 2012, the year before we got it passed, we reached out to folks in Michigan and Minnesota who'd been who'd had a self-determination law for many years. In fact, they they are they remain Don Hoyle in Michigan remains my mentor. Um, last year, when we were looking to pass AB 1663, the Conservatorship Reform and Supported Decision Making Act, um, we went to Texas because Texas had the very first supported decision making law, and we spoke to other states. So, you know, there are national organizations that do incredible work 
around many of these issues like the Center for Public Representation, the Quality Trust. Um, there are some really great groups out there. Uh, I shout out to the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, which is my favorite of all the organizations. Um, and um, visit their websites, give them money. They need money, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. We, I, we, we should all support these groups that are run by people with disabilities um, because uh, they, they need to be successful and they are gonna be changing the world. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.